Good day to all. Um, thank you for being here today. Uh, we're going to discuss about technology and innovation and how to reduce OPEX, improve efficiency and security. It might sound oversaid, but the fourth industrial revolution is already a reality at the start of the 21st century, and the world of shipping cannot be immune to the sweeping technological change. The shipping industry is facing the challenge of digital transformation, driven mainly by the need to adjust its operating model in order to adapt to changes in the global economic environment and respond to intense competition and fluctuating demand. Terms such as artificial intelligence, blockchain, machine learning, that up to recent past only IT experts were familiar with, are fast becoming part of our daily life. Use of such new technologies might allow shipping companies to do things in a way that we have not even imagined five years ago. But how can vessel management take full advantage of such new technologies and achieve the magic goal of turning data into an asset without compromising the core operation of transferring goods? What are the possibilities that lie ahead of us? And what are the challenges and the risks that shipping companies might face while trying to take advantage of such new technologies? In order to help us understand better the aspects of new technologies, as well as to answer some or many of our questions, we have here today with us some top professionals from some sectors of shipping industry. To begin with, let's welcome Mr. Gideon Lenke, Technical Director of EPSCO RA Security Systems, who is going to present us about cyber risks and cybersecurity. The floor is yours. Good morning. All right. Ah, there we are. So uh, it's 2.15, 2.25 uh, in the morning for me, AM. So uh, I'm glad to be speaking first. Uh, I've been told um, that uh, we have uh, 10 minutes to talk about um, uh, our topic, which is uh, how do we get a handle on lowering OPEX, right? And how do we uh, bring that down and increase efficiency? and I have 10 minutes. So some threats are easy to spot, right? I think I actually sat next to this guy at a cafe last night in town. Others, others are not, right? But the, um, uh, the effect can be equally devastating, right? So in order to get a handle on what you need to spend for cybersecurity risk, uh, you're going to have to understand your threats, right? And then you're going to have to put them into some sort of context. Risk is the intersection of an asset, a vulnerability, and a threat. So we need to find a way to categorize this, right? We do this in cybersecurity in the same way we do it in any other industry. You folks being uh, largely uh, financial uh, are well aware of how to quantify risk. So when we look at cybersecurity risk, we look at it in terms of how likely is it going to happen and how bad is it going to be? How hard is it going to be to recover from, right? So we can look at it as uh, a high probability, low impact. We can look at it as probably going to happen, low risk, low probability, right? We can look at it as probably not going to happen, but if it does, uh, it's going to have a devastating impact. You know, we have plenty of examples um, of this that hit the news, right? Everyone's heard of the, the, the Maersk incident, right? Uh, low probability, uh, very, very high impact. And of course, you have uh, the uh, likely going to happen and it's going to be bad 
things that you have to deal with on a, on a day-to-day basis. So, uh, you, if you want to spend exactly what you should on cybersecurity, you have, to contru- you have to choose controls based on those risks. And this presupposes you know what those risks are, right? So you're going to have to analyze the risk to your organization. And this is a multi-dimensional problem because a risk for one organization is not going to be the same for another. They're not identical. The risk will change with um, time, the maturity of your organization, the uptake of technology, right? Technology comes with benefits, and then it comes with risks. And in maritime, um, like other industries that have gone on before it, uh, uh, with, a, with a technical revolution, has, um, you know, th- these things are coming on, uh, and the risks associated with them are often not promoted along with the benefit. So as an organization, you need to take the time to get the right people in the room to understand what these risks are. And then you need to choose controls based on those risks. Uh, Too often, when we work with uh, companies in the maritime sector, um, we find that the controls are being put in, usually by an IT department, who's kind of supposing what the risks are, supposing what the, um, the outcome of a failure would be, and oftentimes either overestimating or underestimating the controls that are required to manage this risk. So it's kind of a guessing game, right? Well, we we don't want to guess, we want to actually know. So companies that do quantify their risk, uh, then you have to apply the controls to it. There are existing control catalogs that are published by standards organizations uh, that are uh, both pay for and free. Um, Organizations like ISO or in the US, the, the NIST, uh, publishes these control catalogs. So all the controls are there as well as recipes how, how to use them. But uh, again, it, it, if you want to get to that number, like how much should you be spending to manage a sp- specific risk, you have to um, understand the controls you're putting in place and what they cost. Not just what they cost to purchase, but what they cost to operate and all the business processes that surround them so that they can be uh, operated uh, effectively to, 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 to offset the risk. And then um, you should also be looking at managing risks using a formal framework. If you're not working within a framework, uh, again, and this is something the IMO recommended in, in the circular, if you're not governing right, with, with a framework, you're, you, you really aren't uh, effectively or efficiently managing that process. You're kind of in a reactive mode, which is, is never good for efficiency or, or, or cost container. And then if you know all these things, you know, you, gaps will develop, right? You will identify these gaps, and you can then approach them methodically, right? It, it, it's more method than magic um, when, you, when you approach it in this way. And I like to, 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 to say that, um, you know, what, it, what is measured is, is managed. Um, that quote's uh, frequently attributed to Peter Drucker, but I, I, I don't believe that's so. Um, but it sounds like something he, he would say. So if you want to minimize uh, OPEX, you want to maximize efficiency, use a formal process, right? Um, the NIST cybersecurity governance framework is a great one. I like it because it's free and it's extremely mature. 
It's been used in the U.S. Um, for years. It's developed for the uh, Department of Defense for contractors. But uh, when it was developed, it was obvious that this is applicable to any application of cybersecurity, and it's released in the public domain. There are other frameworks that you can purchase as part of, say, an ISO 27001 effort. But uh, again, um, why purchase what is freely available and just as effective? It starts with your risk assessment process, which I've described a bit. Uh, you need to have a documented control inventory. When I walk into a company and um, I ask to see their control inventory and they look at me and blink, I know exactly where I am on that maturity scale of an organization, right? Because again, it's not just the, 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 the controls and the risk you're trying to manage with them, it's the business process that goes around it. And if I see a, oh, well, that's control 1002, okay. You know, that says something very different to me than, oh, well, we have uh, this, this new box we bought. It's uh, supposedly great. Um, you also have to test these in a real-world setting, right? It's not enough to just say they're there. Uh, we think they work. You need to uh, attack them with a, a testing methodology. Um, a lot of companies are familiar with the pen test process, right, where they have a penetration test. The guys try and, try and break in. Uh, they may or may not achieve that, um, but uh, then there's a fixed process that goes after it. As a company matures in their governance and the, the way they approach cybersecurity, what we find is you start testing specific controls. Well, this control we know is extremely critical because we know that it can result in, say, downtime, a vessel off hire for a period of time while it's remediated. How do those controls work? Well, let's simulate what we're trying to prevent here. So you simulate an attack. That means simulated malware. That means um, tabletop exercises where we take, come in and say, okay, well, this just happened. Initiate your cleanup process. And then you, you, you throw things in there that you're not expecting. Oh, well, that guy, well, he's sick today. You're going to have to, uh, how well documented is it? Can someone else do it? You have to step through these processes methodically if you're going to get, uh, you're going to, get to uh, a level of efficient governance on cybersecurity. And then, you know, this has to be a cycle that's done regularly. Um, I, you know, I recommend with the, at least the risk assessment process that's annual. However, this industry is in rapid change, so you have new vessels coming online that have cyber-enabled systems. You have cyber-enabled systems being rolled out to existing vessels, right? Um, but there should be a process built into your governance that, uh, that um, tries to quantify the risk of the cyber-enabled system as it's brought on board. Okay, so, okay, you're going to get the benefit of this thing you're bringing on, but what are the risks that are associated with it? So, as an organization, you'll want to see an annual process, but you also want to see a sub-process and people responsible for it internally to make this happen uh, to onboard uh, new technologies. And when you're looking at these risks, I, I, I will say, uh, especially if you're trying to get to a point where, say, how much should we spend, right? Um, every risk that you identify is not equal, and the amount of technology or process you need to put toward it is not equal, and it shouldn't be. Not every control needs to be uh, the highest possible maturity level. Uh, the, you should assign the maturity level that's just right. One of the, org one of the um, examples I use of this is years ago when we were pen testing financial institutions, I broke into a bank through an ATM. I should say a, a, a modem attached to uh, an ATM. 
and I was able to take the source code to their bank, their banking system. This was 15, 20 years ago. Um, by modifying it in place, I was able to demonstrate that just by leaving this modem open, they, they open themselves up to someone siphoning money off through their own banking system, right? So we recommended you, you have to have some, some better detective controls here. You have to have some processes in place. You have to uh, make sure that the, the code has integrity, that you know which versions you're pushing up. And the, the bank manager said, really, this is a small community bank. And he says, well, that modem sits on this guy's desk over here. Yes. He put a timer on it that shut it off at night. It cost $25 to manage that risk. And it worked, because when the guy was there during the day, if the modem came on, he would hear it, right? So sometimes, if you're dealing with the people who are actually operating the, the, uh, the systems you're trying to protect, the processes you're trying to protect, if you have the right people in the room, you can find effective solutions. That's a, a, a radical example. And of course, that's a temporary solution, because that technology doesn't even exist anymore. But the, the, the message is the same. If you spend time and you have the right people in the room, then you can obviously um, uh, uh, you know, manage these risks, sometimes quite more uh, you know, cost effective than you could uh, by just throwing um, you know, the status quo uh, approach to it. Okay, I see by my uh, flashing red that uh, I am uh, out of time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Uh, Gideon Lenke. And our next spe speaker is Mr. Navneet Rainu. Good morning, everyone. I'm uh, Navneet Rainu, representing uh, Tototheo Maritime. Um, to touch upon this subject uh, and express our views on how to answer this question, uh, so the subject of the panel being uh, how to reduce OPICs, improve efficiency and security. And in our view, the solution lies in providing a system as a solution and supplementing it with a service from uh, subject matter experts and then simplifying the process of conducting voyages in an efficient manner. So I'll elaborate on that. I'll start with the storyline. Um, a few years ago, we sat down and on the back of the, an envelope, we wrote down what are the elements or ingredients needed to address this issue. A uh, lot of our customers were ending up with voyages in losses. Uh, so we jotted down all the points, all the elements, all the services that we need to uh, accumulate to address this issue. So we started with a blank sheet of paper and started with the services. The first one was to map their assets to see where their ships are. So we needed a position service. Uh, we tied up with uh, AIS position providers and supplemented it with uh, Inmarsat C positions. Uh, and then we started showing the assets on a map. Then we needed a weather layer. Uh, so we tied up with uh, meteorologist uh, services uh, providing sea weather, um, and we added that as a layer. We put both of these things on a digital navigational chart so that we know where the assets are and how far are they from shallow zones or from uh, navigational dangers. Then we intended to 
add a service of weather routing um, where X sailors can get the route from the master, optimize it for weather, safety, distance, um, taking ETA into account. And uh, we thought that, okay, this would be a service which can help ship owners and charters to uh, make sure that their assets are going in the most optimum route. We also wanted to hit uh, fuel savings on the price front, so we tied up with uh, suppliers to make contracts uh, with us, uh, zero-value contracts, so that our customers can get uh, uh, fuel at a better price, uh, good quality, reliable supply. Uh, we use the concept of blockchain in this process where we lock down the progress of uh, the order which has been stemmed right from inquiry to stem to supply. Uh, it's tamper-proof, uh, so we can see the flow of the supply and also give support uh, right until the bunker is pumped on the ships. Then comes the big element, noon reports. It's been going on since 80s, 90s, or when the vessels were able to send data from the ships manually. This was a good area to tap into because it's a, it's a reservoir of a lot of data filled by the master and the chief engineer. Um, it gives insights into the ship's performance. Um, so it was very important to, uh, let's say, transfer this information in a visual format. So that was our next endeavor. Uh, then came the sensors with uh, the ability to transmit live data or near real-time monitoring. Uh, we have data coming at uh, the frequency of every five minutes uh, with multiple uh, uh, data points. So we wanted to tap into that. Um, if you have this data, then there are many more things that you can uh, provide. Before we show this data, it was very important. There was a hurdle, which was the ERPs used in shipping companies, the enterprise resource tools that they have uh, uh, in the companies and the offices are indoctrinated so deep and for so many years that it's very difficult for uh, potential customers to deviate from that. So we had to sort out the integration first. Um, any solution needs to keep this uh, as a priority. Uh, if you cannot talk with the ERPs, uh, your subsequent solutions fail in a way. So that was the first hurdle that we crossed when we wanted to address the data issue. With the noon reports coming in, uh, there was a feedback that the regulatory requirements of EU MRV, which is uh, monitoring, reporting, and verification of your fuel consumption and uh, carbon emissions, uh, it was taking a lot of time. Uh, it was a pain point for the operators. So we decided to offload that task as part of the solution um, and so that the operators can focus on their primary task, which was to operate the ships. Um, and we also do that for IMO DCS. We do end-to-end -end solution uh, certified by class. Uh, the basic idea is that we offload the mundane uh, repetitive tasks from the operators and so that they can focus on their primary role. <clears throat> Coming back to noon reports, we can use this data to, do, uh, to monitor engine performance, make scorecards, KPIs, 
so that the management and the operators can really monitor their fleet in terms of performance and carry out predictive maintenance instead of a reactive maintenance. So this enables us also to do consumption and power monitoring, give suggestions to the master to execute an efficient voyage. This is where we supplement it with subject matter experts. So we have a 24-7 service um, that can give advice to the operators, to the masters, to the chief engineers, um, uh, based on the data that they are giving us. Uh, it's a very important element if you really want to hit uh, uh, fuel savings matter. It's important to address the claims side of it. Uh, it's becoming an increasing issue with charters and owners uh, uh, deliberating over the claims post-voyage. Um, there has to be a tool which helps us during the voyage, giving us indication on what's going to happen post-voyage so that they can avoid it. Charter Porter. Charter party performance is an important element also. Commercial module with machine learning. When we have data and it comes at every five minutes, it becomes sort of a big data. Uh, we have used machine learning elements to somehow predict the consumption, the power, and the speed required to reach a certain uh, destination at the required ETA. Security, SSAS. It's a shame that if you have all of these elements and you don't cover SSAS service, uh, um, if not, then the customer have to sign up for another vendor who does SSAS servicing for you. Um, that is where all the integration uh, comes into the picture. Analytics and AI, when you have data, you need to use this today to show a visualization uh, helping in the commercial aspects of the voyage. Finally, charts, admiralty charts, digital publications, tight tables in digital formats with regular up updates, because why not? You have a platform, you're giving a service, why not cover this aspect also? So in my opinion, if, you, if a platform gives all of these solutions end-to-end, -end, it hits all the three elements of the subject. I would like to thank uh, a few companies who, are, uh, who have believed in this um, in this direction that we have taken, uh, Merskline, uh, MSC. Uh, I would like to thank Columbia, who have, who have subscribed to almost the whole portfolio, and they've built upon it as their own control room, supplemented it by their own expertise as ship managers to stay ahead of the curve. Uh, Mr. Mark O'Neill will speak on that later. Uh, just want to thank uh, these establishments to, to believe in this. I'll leave you with an audiovisual to put this whole unstructured format into a structured format.
So in my opinion, um, this, the solution lies in having an end-to-end uh, uh, platform service and a process to reduce your OPEX and improve uh, safety and security on board. A platform which can be used uh, on your phones, iPads, desktops, um, big screens in a control room uh, to ensure that you're compliant, efficient, um, the solution is scalable, and that's where, that's where the answer lies. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Navneet. Um, I think we are now ready to open the, the panel to the floor for any, for any questions. Before, you will allow me to have questions to the panelists, a uh, few questions myself, and then we can proceed. Um, Mr. Lenke, I am following your presentation about the cyber risks and the cyber security. Uh, I was wondering, where is the human factor there? How do you treat, uh, in this holistic approach, uh, the human element? Ah, oh, there we go. Uh, human factor, yeah. Um, you know, the human factor in cybersecurity is obviously a big one, okay? Uh, but it's at both ends of the, the problem, um, meaning the, the people, the weakest chain in the link is always the, the, the person. The person can not follow procedure. The person can do something they're not supposed to do. They can be manipulated, um, et cetera, et cetera. The adversary is also human. Um, you know, you're trying to put up machines and controls against a human adversary. Uh, many of those controls to this day are still static controls. So anytime you uh, have a static control in a human adversary, the human will find a way around it, right? It's, uh, people are really good at this. Uh, the other side of the human uh, element in cybersecurity is on the management side, right? Um, oftentimes, cybersecurity is left to IT to, to deal with when what it needs is leadership engagement. Um, so if you don't have leadership engagement at the top of your organization, taking this seriously and implementing it as a business process with the weight of that, um, you know, the, the administration behind it, it's never going to succeed uh, on its own. So yeah, human element is, uh, is, is a big factor. Thank you very much. Um, Mr. Rainu, uh, you have introduced us some exotic terms such as uh, blockchain, AI, IoT. Um, how easy to, is it to introduce such terms to a traditional industry such as shipping? Have you ma managed to translate these terms into tangible gains or aspects that might lead us there. Yes, um, these terms, as exotic as they are, they, they are the future. We have to embrace them uh, and stop, start believing that we can, we can uh, use them to our advantage. Uh, in terms of tangible terms, uh, the companies which are traditionally operating will see the benefits when it results in uh, cost savings in my opinion. Uh, today, the industry is running in really narrow 
uh, within narrow margins where uh, the difference between a voyage ending up in a profit or a loss uh, uh, boils down to uh, either the efficient route or the right speed and the power uh, resulting in consumptions over and under what has been decided in the charter party. So every solution that has to be provided with these exotic terms need to uh, convert to a dollar value. Um, and every solution needs to express that to show value on why the shipping companies need to embrace this technology. Yes, thank you. Um, I'll, st I'll stay with uh, Mr. Ainu uh, because I have a further question uh, which is similar to the, to the first one, but um, all I think most shipping companies understand that digital transformation, data collaboration, information uh, integration is inventable. But worry about the, first of all, about the potential risks that Mr. Lenke will tell us a bit further about that, but mainly about the worry about the pain. The pain that means that the cost, the labor, the transformation period, what do you have to say to them? That is it something easy? How can we convince even our, our own, ourselves, our personnel, that there's something there, we have to do that? Uh, the simple answer is with a proof of concept. So you trial the platform, you stream the data into a solution, uh, see if it translates to uh, cost savings, um, which the solution provider has to has to assist with. Um, if you are convinced that it's going to save cost and time and labor and pain points, then the only thing left to worry about is the transition period, uh, which is what we have to address. Keep the transition period as short as possible. Uh, minimum installations on board, because that's a huge logistical requirement. Uh, ports, agents, costs involved in that. Um, keep it digital, improve the communications with the sh uh, communication streams with the ship, so improved sat links. That's a big uh, uh, assistance and a friend in this, uh, in this endeavor. Uh, once you start seeing the cost savings and the reduc uh, reduced um, effort by embracing technologies like this, uh, transition period should be easy. Thank you very much. Um, and now, Mr. Lenke, we have seen uh, a complete uh, solution uh, from Mr. Ainu. Uh, there was no mention about cyber risk and cyber security there. I think that's why you're in the panel. Uh, can you tell us how safe it is for a shipping company to go there? Well, I tell you what, it, you can contract us to, to uh, <laughs> test it. Uh, no, but, but seriously, the, um, um, these, the complexity of a system, okay, the more complex it is, the more, uh, the more susceptible it is to unanticipated consequence and failure, right? So uh, more comp it, it's uh, Jurassic Park, right? I mean, uh, when you make a, uh, a really complicated thing, it can, it can get away from you. Um, what I advocate on any system like this is when you put them in place, you have to ponder what happens when now you become reliant on it and that it's taken away from you for a period of time. So what happens to you? And this is happening right now on vessels that go off higher when they get 
hit with a, um, like a, a ransomware or malware that gets on board, not even aimed at shipping, right? But it takes a system down that's critical to the operation of the vessel. It goes off higher while they, 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 they clean it up, right? So you have to take that into consideration when you're uh, employing any cyber-enabled system uh, on a vessel. And you can have protective measures to make sure, try to make sure it doesn't happen. Protection always fails, and you have to consider what happens when that failure occurs. Um, for example, uh, you know, some of the um, shippers we're working with right now, sometimes the, the, the solution for the uh, malware on the vessel is very simple. Um, you, you keep uh, hard drives ready to go with operating systems installed and the, tr the crew are trained to replace them rather than wait for a technician to get to the vessel. Simple, right? But it takes a vessel going off higher for a few days and the pain of that cost uh, before, before they started thinking of that, right? If you do it right, you want to think of these things ahead of deployment rather than uh, after you have an expensive uh, uh, period of, of downtime or an expensive incident. To the best you can. You can't think of everything, but you should try. Thank you very much. Do you have anything to add uh, on, uh, on the respect? Uh, especially, I wasn't even implying that the solution is not cyber-proof. Um, I think you are have taken care of all these uh, aspects of security and uh, cyberproofing, correct? Uh, yes, we have a, a service as uh, addressing cybersecurity, uh, which covers not just uh, the data coming from the ships, but also um, uh, the data going to the ship from the offices. Um, it, it, it's very important, uh, like Gideon mentioned, uh, the ship's data, and it has happened in the recent history that ships have been susceptible to ransomware. Uh, it, it's a huge risk, and it needs to be addressed. Uh, I did not cover it in my presentation, but yes, we address it. Thank you very much. Um, Mr. Lenke, yes. um, there is one approach that Recently, we've been listening to a lot in many, uh, from many stakeholders that since we cannot avoid the breach, we cannot avoid uh, the impact, uh, we should try to uh, minimizing the consequences. Um, where do you stand for that? I'm not sure I understand the question. Minimize the consequences. The risks, the, uh, the breach is there, will, will happen. It's no, going to happen. No, yeah. It's going to happen no matter what. Right. Uh, so we just need to minimize the consequences. We just mm -hmm. need to find a way to control how big mm -hmm. the impact will be. Yeah, and the, and the way you do that is um, by walking through the, the, the event you're concerned about, right? There's plenty of examples out there. We know, everybody now knows what uh, you know, a ransomware attack feels like because they've seen it or it's happened to them, right? So um, let's just use that as an example. Uh, by walking through that process, right, it, even in terms of, uh, you know, either a live test or a tabletop test, and a tabletop exercise is really just uh, a way to say, okay, these systems, these critical systems over here, they've just been hit. Um, we need to go to backup. What are we going to do? Um, how many, uh, how are we going to deal with our people? How are they going to get their email, let's say? Um, how long is it going to take to restore? You, you need to have those questions answered before it happens, not in the midst of it, you know. I've seen companies that had, uh, you know, thought they had all this together and they wind up, you know, running around trying to buy Bitcoin at the last minute to pay off the ransom. 
i also see companies big companies i just heard of one last night that didn't make the news where a major u s corporation had their e mail down for two weeks due to a ransomware attack two weeks of no e mail in this day and age that's pretty catastrophic right so yeah to manage that to minimize it you you envision it you engage with professionals who can simulate the attack and then you walk through the emergency response in house with your in house and contracted emergency response team thank you very much and I think we're running out of time in case there is any I think we're out of time so unfortunately we're gonna skip the the question from the audience. Thank you very much. Thank you.